0: Those old hymns are brilliant, aren't they? You you hardly need a a sermon after you've sung, and can it be? My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Um, That's brilliant, just brilliant. Uh, Stephen's uh, led us wonderfully there. Um, He's used a phrase that we use at times like this about you know praying for, for me as I come to open God's word. I can't do that. You can open it uh, and have it there before you, uh, but I, I'll try to just lead us as we look at it and, and hopefully uh, with God's help, guide our thinking a little bit. Um, do you remember Atonement, uh, the novel 2001 uh, in McEwan? If we we'll pop it up there, uh, The photograph, thanks Paul. Um, I think it won one of the prizes. I've bought it. It sits on the shelf with a lot of other unread books. Anybody have an unread copy of Atonement? Nobody's going to admit it. Does anybody have a read copy of Atonement? Oh, this, yeah, yeah. Okay, you guys. um, 2007 it was turned into a BAFTA award winning film. Uh, Kieran Knightley and James McAvoy were in that, so maybe some of us who who don't read books like that got to see it. It's set in the years before World War II, and it tells the story of a 13 year old, uh, or it begins uh, with uh, a 13 year old aspiring writer, and her name is Bryony. She's grown up in a sort of an upper middle class family in England. And the plot revolves around a, a sort of a very fateful kind of a day where she sees a couple of things. She sees, first of all, a a romantic encounter between her her sister, Cecilia, and uh, a family uh, servant who's become a friend, Robbie Turner. So she sees that first, that romantic encounter between these two, and then later on in the day, she sees a crime, a a rape. But in her mind, she confuses the two events with tragic consequences, uh, particularly for... Uh, Robbie who ends up being imprisoned as, as an innocent man so we fast forward five years and the young girl Bryony, is growing up to be a, a younger woman she's living by now racked with guilt and she knows that she's made a terrible mistake but she doesn't know how to fix it doesn't know what to do about it uh, she becomes a nurse and she ends up caring for wounded soldiers uh, What what she's trying to do probably is to to seek penance, to to somehow make up for the mistakes of her past. But her older sister, Cecilia, she won't even talk to her. Uh, Robbie has gone off to fight in the war. Um, Atonement tells the story of this one woman's struggle with her her guilty conscience. That question of, of guilt... And a conscience is quite an interesting one in the modern world. Uh, I don't know whether you have noticed this or worked this out, but we live in an increasingly sinless culture. Um, So we live in a a culture or or an era of cultural relativism where there is no right and wrong. Uh, There's no sin. uh, And then there's no guilt. That's what our culture teaches us. Ironically, even in that culture, our guilty hearts tell us otherwise. Uh, I was trying to work out what what I mean by that or or how to illustrate that to you. If you think of many of the even very modern stories that are written or movies that are made, the the power of redemption, a person who's done wrong, having a chance to, to turn that around or to be redeemed, that, that doesn't seem to go away. I'm wondering, it, it feels to me like the culture is telling itself a lie and then carrying on regardless. It says we, we aren't sinners, we don't need redemption, but let's make a lot of stories about redemption anyway. Tonight as we come to this, uh, back to the letter of the Hebrews, we're going to have a chance to see what Jesus has done to set us free from our guilty consciences. So the journey so far in Hebrews, uh, if you've been with us these months, you'll know that the writer, he's just piling up loads of aspects of the Jewish uh, religious uh, world. And he's showing us at each turn how Jesus is better. Uh, Everything in the the Jewish story up to that point had been pointing to Jesus. He's the fulfillment. Stephen showed us this morning in Colossians. uh, the, The image used there, that everything that came before was the shadow of which Jesus is the reality. So he's greater than the angels. He's, he's greater than Moses. He's fulfilled the Sabbath and give us the rest that we're looking for. He's the greater high priest. A couple of weeks ago, chapter 8, Stephen showed us how he's the high priest of a greater covenant. So that was the, the layer we added a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's not just the menu that you look at but he's, he's the, the, the meal. The, the, the old covenant's like a, a menu. It gives you an idea of what's there for us, but we have to go and, and meet Jesus himself to enjoy the meal. Here in chapter nine, the, the writer picks up another important aspect of the, the Jewish uh, religious tradition, the tabernacle, or we might say, I think he's talking about the tabernacle and the temple, actually. The tabernacle is the tent and then the, the temple becomes the, the more bricks and mortar expression of the same realities. Now, depending on your upbringing, depending on the kind of church you've grown up in, you may know loads or next to nothing about the tabernacle. Some people here know every square inch of the tabernacle inside out. I was talking to a friend about this recently. Uh, she was telling me that in her church there was a model of the tabernacle where you could go and see. Do, do we have, can we pop up, Paul, it might be a good point to pop up the, the image. Um, there are loads of images you can Google and get a, a real good look at what the tabernacle, this, this tent of meeting where God was meeting with his people. Uh, it's described, first of all, in Exodus. Um, but here, here's a picture. If, if you keep, keep that uh, picture before you, but look at the text, Look at the first five verses, and you'll be able to identify. The writer here does us a favor, right? He takes what, what in Exodus takes chapters of architectural detail. He whacks it into five verses. I think he's doing us a favor for the most part. Unless you, you love it, then go and read it in Exodus. It's all there. I, I love what he says in verse five. It sounds like a preacher's line. We cannot discuss these things in detail now. That's what you say when you don't know what you're talking about and, and you don't have all the details to hand. You say, oh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll not deal with that today. We'll move on. Look at what he tells us. In the first room, there's a lampstand. Do you see it? There's a table with consecrated bread. By the way, that's the thing nearest us here at the bottom of the, the slide and this is called the Holy Place. Behind the, second, behind the second curtain, there's a room called the Most Holy Place, which has the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. Actually, the image here and when you read in Exodus has only the Ark of the Covenant on the far side of the curtain. I didn't choose to explore that for you. Somebody who loves this stuff might go and do the homework and come back. I'll give you two minutes on the mic next time, and you can tell us um, what's going on there. Uh, The the next slide, Paul, shows us what's inside the ark, just uh, because it's in the text there. Inside the ark, you had a gold jar of manna, so the food that they ate in the desert. They were asked to keep some of it uh, as a memorial to remind them of God's provision for them. Aaron's staff that had budded, so you see it there, and then the stone tablets of the covenant. Uh, Those of you who watch Indiana Jones will know of course all about the the Raiders of the Lost Ark and, and all that. Above the ark you have the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement seat. That's all the writer's done here really. He's just told us what's there in the tabernacle. That's what he does in these first five verses. What he does then, very quickly, is he tells us how it functions. Uh, He says, The priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, never without blood, which he offered for himself and the sins the people had committed in ignorance. So this place, this here, is the holy, this is the center of the universe in the Jewish world. It's the place that symbolizes the presence of God among his people. And it's got such limited access. It's so hard to get to it. We've been thinking about this before in Hebrews. Only one person can come. That person can only come once a year. And that person can come only after they've put on all the stuff, they've washed themselves, and they've offered sacrifices because they're sinful every bit as much as the people they represent. It's all about limited access to the presence of God. In verses eight to 10, the author tells us what we should make of these arrangements. We don't live under these arrangements. I'm gonna read them for you. You've got them there in the NIV, but I'm gonna read them in the, the message just to give you a, a fresh uh, way to hear them. Describing this uh, tabernacle this whole setup he says this was the holy spirit's way of showing with a visible parable that as long as the large tent stands people can't just walk in on god under this system the gifts and sacrifices can't really get to the heart of the matter can't assuage the conscience of the people but are limited to matters of ritual and behavior it's essentially a temporary arrangement until a complete overhaul could be made. So the writer's telling us that this tabernacle was only ever intended to be temporary. And then he suggests what he thinks is its biggest shortcoming. And this is where our focus is this evening. It can't help us with our consciences. Whatever it was doing whatever way it was meeting God's requirements somehow, it didn't help the worshiper with their conscience. Now that's a problem as old as humanity itself. Us, our hearts, and how we carry our sin throughout our lives. Think back to Adam and Eve. As soon as they sin, their their consciences have been defiled, and their guilt ruins them we've we've talked about this before it ruins their relationship first with god they don't they don't feel joy at his company any longer they hide from him it ruins their relationships from each other uh, they blame each other uh, for for how things have gone wrong they they lose their sense of peace even with themselves so there's that that idea that they see themselves and they're ashamed they see their nakedness for the first time. For the first time, they look at themselves and they don't like what they see. And all through the Old Testament, the conscience is an issue. Although, although the people have this provision for them, they have a tabernacle and a temple, they have a, a provision where you make endless animal sacrifices, the conscience isn't cleansed. That's exactly what our writer is saying here. These, conscience, these uh, sacrifices, they end up useful for pointing us to Jesus, but not for cleansing the conscience. No animal sacrifice can do that. The Jewish readers of, of the letter would have known that because they would have grown up seeing the sacrifices made year after year after year. They would have known, as we do, that a, a new high priest is needed. Jesus, the Son of God, with a better sacrifice, the sacrifice of himself. Look down at verse 14. The writer tells us that we do finally get a sacrifice that goes to the heart of the matter. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Twice in this chapter, the conscience is mentioned. Once we're told that animal sacrifice can't do it, then we're told that Jesus can. Jesus' death reaches back to cover all the sins of God's people in the times before he came. It reaches forward to cover all the sins of God's people in the times since. So here we are, in our modern age, with all our, our science or social media or organ transplants or genetic engineering, we, we're so modern and so able for so many things, but we still have this problem a conscience that needs cleansed. We can self harm ourselves. Maybe that's one of the reasons why people resort to self harm, some trouble they have with who they are. We can sacrifice our children in sacred rivers, as as people of some pagan cultures do, to appease the gods. We, We can give millions to charity. We can serve dinners to homeless people. We can perform a hundred different acts and, and make sure we Instagram them all for the world to see them. But the problem still remains. Lady Macbeth, do you remember her? She's blood in her hands and she washes and she washes and she washes to get the blood off her hands out damn spot and no matter how much she washes that blood that guilt won't go we can't wash our consciences ourselves our consciences in the Jewish world there was a lot of stuff about what could make you unclean you know touching the wrong thing or um eating the wrong food or whatever. That's that's not our problem. That's not what worries us. Um we know, I think, by now, what Jesus said is true, that it's what comes out of us that defiles us, not what goes in. We're we're defiled by the things that we generate rather than the things that we uh ingest. Uh, our our pride our self-pity, our bitterness, our lust and our envy, our jealousy, our covetousness and apathy and fear. These, says Paul, verse 14, they're acts that lead to death. They've no life in them. They don't come from the new life that we have in Jesus and they don't lead us into new life in Jesus. They, they lead to death when we live in them. We feel hopeless. And our consciences have us. Folks, our only our only answer in these modern times, as much as in any times that have gone before, is in the blood of Jesus. When our conscience rises up to condemn us, where do we turn? We we turn to Jesus. When we turn to his His suffering, we turn to His death. It's the only cleansing agent in the universe that can clean a dirty heart and conscience. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can deal with the guilt in my conscience? Nothing. But the blood of Jesus. Let's come back one last time to the text here in Hebrews. What there's writers doing here is he's showing us that Jesus isn't simply a greater high priest of a greater covenant, but also that he's been through a greater tabernacle. Look at verse 11. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, that is not part of this creation. This morning in book by book, we were reading Mark's gospel. And towards the end of his gospel, in Mark 15, where he's telling us about the crucifixion of Jesus, Mark does a, a masterful thing. He, he's kept us for 30 something verses just there at Golgotha looking at the cross looking at the events there Jesus being crucified the passers by and the religious leaders mocking him the whole focus is on Golgotha and he tells us verse 37 the moment of Jesus death with a loud voice Jesus cried breathed his last sorry and then he does a thing he zooms away from Golgotha turns his camera over the the skyline of Jerusalem and takes us to the temple. Takes us inside the temple and he shows us the curtain. This curtain that we saw up there a moment ago, this curtain that separates humanity from God, us from the Holy of Holies, this place that keeps us off limits from God. And Mark tells us that the instant that Jesus died, the curtain tore from top to bottom. The barrier between God, perfect, beautiful God, and sinful, corrupt me is torn open because Jesus dies on the cross. Folks, Jesus died to deal with our guilty consciences, to bring us back to God Look at verse 24. For Christ didn't enter a man-made sanctuary that was made only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. He's gone before us into the real presence of God, offering a real perfect sacrifice of himself. He's done that so that we can come back to God. Do you know the thing about a guilty conscience? It makes you want to stay away from people. It makes you want to not be there. Jesus tore the curtain so that we can come back. Our conscience is clean and we're welcome home. We started by talking about uh, the movie and the, the book, Atonement. In the movie... Uh, Those of you who have both read the book and uh, watched the movie will know this. Something entirely unexpected happens at the end. Uh, Sorry for the spoiler, but the movie is 10 years old. Now, I have a rule that once a movie's past three or four years old, we can start talking about what happened in it. So um, The story jumps forward at the end of the movie, 59 years. Still, the character, the key character, is Bryony. She's now an old woman. And she's dying. The aspiring writer that she was as a young girl, that's what she is. She's a famous novelist. She's publishing her 21st and her final novel. And guess what she's writing about? Her choices as a child and their tragic aftermath. 59 years she's carried this stuff. In the movie version, the the redemption that's eluded her throughout all of her life and the the atonement that this novel is really all about is actually written into the story. There is a sense of redemption. The film ends with a kind of a happily ever after ending. Critics had mixed feelings about this. They weren't sure whether this was a good idea uh, because they knew that uh, in, in McEwan's actual novel, he ended things quite differently. Here's what he says on the novel's final pages. The problem these 59 years has been this. How can a novelist achieve atonement when with her absolute power of deciding outcomes, she is also God? There is no one, no entity or higher form that she can appeal to or be reconciled with or that can forgive her There is nothing outside her. In her imagination, she set the limits and the terms, no atonement for God or novelists, even if they're atheists. It's always an impossible task, and that was precisely the point. The attempt was all. Maybe the wordiness of that lost you a little bit. McEwen leaves his reader with Bryony with a grim realization that without somebody beyond us, somebody bigger than us, there can be no atonement. We can yearn for it. Yes, says McEwen in his own atheistic worldview, the attempt is everything, but there's no atonement. No God, no atonement. We carry our guilt and our consciences with us to the grave. Folks, Jesus Christ is seated. His work's done. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. He has atoned for your life, all of it completely and for mine. Our writer says, verse 26, he's appeared once for all at the end of ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. We can't undo our past. None of us. But Jesus is seated. We can't undo our past, but we don't have to be defined by it. Look again, one last time, verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ cleanse our consciences so that we may serve the living God? Our consciences can be clear. Fresh as a daisy, white as snow. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we we know this truth that you forgive sin, Um, we repeat it often. Here as we tell the great story of the gospel, as we remind ourselves of all that Jesus has done for us. And yet, Lord, there's this there's this very personal, there's this very internal aspect of our sinfulness, our our conscience, our, our sense of ourselves, a guilt that we carry that stifles us and inhibits us and ruins our relationship with you and with each other. Thank you that Jesus' work on the cross wasn't limited to getting us some sort of legal acquittal, but that it also included a a washing, a deep wash, a deep rinse of our hearts. Lord, help us, each one of us. We all need this in different ways. Help us this evening to open our lives to you, to reach in there and lift our hearts heavenward and to say, here it is mess that it is, here it is. Would you wash it? Would you make it clean? Lord, we thank you that your promise is that in the finished work of Jesus, you'll do just that. Amen.